last uh, little bit we've been talking about the doctrine of the Trinity and we had a couple weeks where we did not talk about that because we had Easter and then last week we had the uh, speaker come from the Missouri Baptist Children's Home. But today we're going to get to the third person of the Trinity. We're going to be focused on the Holy Spirit today. Our text is going to be found in the New, the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. So head there if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 1, 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1. And when we read our text today, or maybe if you're just familiar with what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, and especially in this section of the book, it may seem on the surface like kind of an odd place to look at to, uh, to talk about the role and, and the personality, the deity of the Holy Spirit. And there, there of course, are a lot of places we turn to look at the Holy Spirit and, and what the Bible says about it. We look at what John says or what Jesus said in, in John's Gospel, in John 14, and then in John 16, whenever Jesus is talking to his disciples about the Comforter coming and, and so on and so forth. We look at different places about his role, his ministry in the, in the life of a believer. Uh, but many times, the Bible, when it talks about these things, and it talks about the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't do so in what do you call uh, propositional statements. It doesn't just say, uh, this is the truth about the Holy Spirit. Instead, what it does is in little bits and snippets all throughout Scripture, both the Old and the New Testaments, um, it, it, it'll tell us something about the Holy Spirit. And remember, when Paul is writing his letters, uh, for instance, he is writing a letter to a church to talk about some issue that was going on in that body of believers. And so he doesn't just give a theology lesson, but rather it's always applied theology. And so sometimes we have to kind of draw out some of these truths from what he says. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 and we're going to see that, uh, that some of the things that, that are said about the Holy Spirit, for instance, can only be true of someone who is co-eternal and co-equal with God the Father and God the Son. Now when we looked at the deity of Christ, one of the things that we, many of the things that we talked about refuted common errors about Jesus. And so many people that reject this, uh, this doctrine of the Trinity they believe that Jesus was a created being, that he was a God but not the God, that all these, all these different things that are incorrect. And when we looked at the biblical truth, we saw that those things were refuted very soundly in Scripture. Well, what we're going to look at today uh, is going to refute one of the common errors of today. And that is that uh, people who reject this idea of the Trinity believe that the Holy Spirit, oftentimes they believe the Holy Spirit is an impersonal force that emanates from the Father. They believe that the Spirit is an it and not a who. And because they believe that the Spirit is an it and not a who, they believe it's a force and not a person, they believe that the Holy Spirit is therefore not divine, that, that, that He is not one with the Father and the Son. Now you may have noticed I used the word person to refer to the Holy Spirit. And that may seem kind of odd because many times we think of a person, we think of someone who is, uh, who is uh, visible, they have a physical form, and the Spirit does not have those things. So in what way is the Holy Spirit a person? Well, a person is one who has uh, intellect, will, emotions, and they have their own individual subsistence. Remember when we, when we talk about the Trinity... The Bible is, lays out some very clear truths. There's only one true God, and yet God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, they are all called God. So we have three persons all sharing the same divine being, the same divine essence 
or nature. And so that is where we get this doctrine of the Trinity. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, a little bit about the Spirit's ministry, his personhood, and his deity, all in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you found uh, 1 Corinthians 12, if you're able, I'd ask you to stand with me to honor God's Word. And we're going to pick up in verse 1 and read down to verse 11. Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. Now, as you could see in that text, there's a lot of room that we, a lot of, lot of ground that we could cover. There's a lot that we could focus on, and a lot of times when, when people look at First Corinthians 12 and, and, and so on and so forth, they focus on the individual spiritual gifts. And we're not going to do that today, but instead we're going to focus on the role of the Spirit. And the first thing I want you to see about the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit brings salvation. The Spirit is the one who brings salvation. Look again at verse 3. He says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now Paul gives a twofold test of those who have claimed to be speaking by the, by, by the uh, authority of, the inspiration of, the influence of the Holy Spirit. And, and there's a, a negative side and a positive side. On the one he said, on the one hand, he says, the person who claims to be speaking by the Holy Spirit will not say Jesus is accursed. That's the negative side. On the other hand, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Now, what do those things mean? Well, if, if we put them together, you could sum it up and say it this way: the Holy Spirit always points to and honors Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always points to and honors. Jesus Christ. Now look again at what he says in verse 3, the first the negative side. He says, no one speaking by the Spirit will say Jesus is accursed. Now I just want to put on the brakes. What does that mean? What does it mean to say Jesus is accursed? The word that's used here that's translated as accursed is the word anathema. What does it mean that when he says no one speaking by the Spirit will say Jesus is anathema? Well, that word that's translated as anathema this is going to sound odd at first, but I think it'll make sense once, you, once we get into it. That word anathema originally meant someone or something that was devoted to God. Now think about that. Paul says, no one speaking by the Spirit will say Jesus is anathema, but the word anathema means devoted to God. How's that, how's that work, right? Now this word anathema means devoted to God and unable to be redeemed. So think back to the conquest of Canaan. You remember when Joshua would lead the people into, 
into Canaan, led them to Jericho, led them to Ai, led them to all these different places. And God would say, these things are under the ban. Remember that? He would say, these things are devoted to destruction. These are things that are devoted to God, and they cannot be redeemed. Sometimes it was things like articles of gold and silver. Sometimes it was people. All the people of, of an idolatrous city many times, God would say, you're going to wipe them out. And so uh, so anything that was under the ban was devoted to God. You remember Achan in the Old Testament. He, he took some stuff that was devoted to God that was under the ban, and then they went, up, they went from Jericho up to Ai. And Ai was a little place. You remember... Uh, the, the Israelites went up. They saw, sent some spies out. They said, well, this is going to be a piece of cake. Don't let everybody come up. Just send, a, just send a few thousand up, and we can take this place. And they went up, and Ai whooped their tail. You remember this? And, and Joshua fell on his face before God said, why is all this happening? And, jo- and God said to Joshua, why are you on your face? Get up. They're sin in the camp. And it can't come to find out Achan had taken some things that were under the ban. These were things that were devoted to God that could not be redeemed. They, if they were items, many times they went into the Lord's storehouse. But if it was a person or a group of people, they were devoted to God in the sense that they were going to be put to death. And so through time, this word anathema picked up this idea not only of, of someone who is going to die, but also began to pick up this idea of displeasure from God. And so carry that over into what Paul says. He says, no one speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus is anathema. Jesus is accursed. Because if if someone would say that, what they're saying is, there's some wickedness in Jesus. He deserved to die. He deserved to die. There was some reason he he suffered justly for some sin that he committed when he died on the cross. And Paul says, anybody who says that, they're not speaking by the Spirit. Jesus did not deserve to die. He was the sinless one who took on our sin. And so Paul says the one speaking by the Spirit will not say that Jesus deserved to die because that would be claiming that Jesus was something less than the incarnate Son of God. So that's the negative side, but on the positive side, verse 3 says that the, the, the one, verse 3 says, that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Spirit is the one who affects salvation. Now, understand, Paul is not saying that an unbeliever cannot utter the words, Jesus is Lord. Because anybody who has the ability to speak can form those words and say, Jesus is Lord. The thing is, the natural man, apart from the Holy Spirit, will not say, Jesus is Lord, and mean it. They may say it in a mocking way. They may say it falsely. But they don't really believe in their heart, Jesus is Lord. Because the natural man is at enmity with God. With God. They, we're, we're in rebellion against God. And, and so, so what, what, you remember what Jesus said? He said on that day, people are going to come to him and say, Lord, Lord. But we, we did all these miraculous things. Remember this? He said we, we did all these miraculous things. We, we cast out demons. We healed the sick. We did all these things. Lord, Lord. And what does Jesus say? Depart from me. I never knew you. So it's not just saying that Jesus is Lord that's in view here, but it's talking about trusting in him and, and having that, that element of faith here is, is confessing Jesus is Lord more, with more than just words. It means that we recognize him for who he is. It means that we recognize him as the Son of God. 
And so Paul says in verse 3, the Holy Spirit is the one who affects salvation. You cannot be saved, you cannot confess Jesus as Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. It can't be done. So that's the first thing that we see. The Holy Spirit brings about salvation. The second thing, and we can spend a lot of time talking about different ministries that, that uh, the Spirit has, but I want us to move on in our text. The next thing that I want you to see is the deity of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is God. Now, before we look back at our text, I want, you, I want to remind you of something that I mentioned uh, some weeks ago, but I just want you to have it fresh in your mind so when we look at this, you'll probably see something that maybe you've never seen before. Remember when the Bible speaks, the New Testament speaks, of Jesus and the Father in the same passage, many times the same verse, especially in the writings of Paul, many times he will differentiate them by saying, by calling the Father God, and by either saying Jesus, or some, many times they'll just call him Lord. Do you remember that? So it's not saying that Jesus is not God in his nature, but it's, he's differentiating between the members of the Trinity, the members of the Godhead. So I want you to keep that in mind, and I want you to look at our text today. Look at verse 4. Look at the titles. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but what? Same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord, and there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. You ever notice the Trinity is right there in those persons? It's a Trinitarian formula. Many times we just breeze through that and we don't even pay attention. But what Paul's saying is that these spiritual gifts that are given to the church... In relation to the Spirit, there are gifts that are given. There are special enablements that the body of Christ receives from the Spirit. In relation to the Son, there are ministries that are done. In relationship to the Father, these are our works. There are effects that He's performing. And all these things, Paul says, are for the common good of the whole body of Christ, the church. Now, what about this points to the Spirit being divine. What points to this uh, truth that he is God? I just want you to realize it would be blasphemous to put anything else in the spot of the Spirit. Because he's lumped up there. He's, he's on the same plane as God the Father and God the Son. It would be blasphemous for Paul to say there are varieties of gifts but the same if he said my name, if he said your name, if he said his name, the, the mightiest angel doesn't work because the Spirit is on the same plane as the Son and the Father. You see this? The only way that, that this even makes sense and is not blasphemy is if the Spirit is divine, if the Spirit is God. Now, you say, well, Pastor, I, I can see that, but... Personally, I'd rather just be spelled out. Thankfully, the Bible does that, and you don't have to turn there, but I would encourage you to write it down if you want to look at it later. In Acts chapter 5, we get the incident of Ananias and Sapphira. You remember this? In the early church, uh, the, the, the people were bringing in all kinds of stuff. They were selling property, bringing to the apostles, laying down their feet, and they were distributing, taking care of the people as they had need. Ananias and Sapphira... They're a man and woman. Uh, they're in the church, and they have a piece of property. They sell it for X amount of dollars, but they keep some of it back for themselves. 
So then they bring a different amount, X minus whatever they keep back, and they bring that to the apostles. And Ananias comes in first, and he says, there you go, here's what we sold our, our property for. Remember this? Peter looks at him in, in chapter 5, verse 3, it says, Peter said to him, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Now, they could have kept it back if they wanted. This didn't need to come in saying that that was the amount they sold the whole piece of property. That's where the lie was. So, it says in verse 3, Satan has put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 4, he goes on to say, You have not lied to men, but to God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, in addition to, to that, consider what the Holy Spirit is doing in our text. He is molding and shaping the body of Christ. He is the one who's giving these gifts, these abilities. He is the one who's determining what the body of Christ is going to look like and how it's going to function. Who can have that kind of authority? God. Surely not an angel or anything else. So we see... The Spirit is the one who brings about salvation. We see the deity of the Holy Spirit. I also want you to see, right at the end, evidence of the personhood of the Spirit. Now, again, this is not the only place that we see teaching about the Spirit. It's all the way back in Genesis 1, all the way to the end. The whole Bible is filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. All those things we're talking about, what we're talking about today, the Holy Spirit. Now, remember what I said about a person earlier. They have intellect, will, individual, subsistence. Where do we see that in our text? Well, look again at uh, verse 11. Now, of course, we could go to places like Ephesians 4.30, where it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we could look there. Uh, we could look at places like, like Acts 5, where he's referred to as, as God and and and. They lie to him. In our text, we see in verse 11 that the Holy Spirit wills. Look at what it says. The one of the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Now, these things can only be true if the Holy Spirit is a person. Because you can't lie to that chair. If, if you talk to shingles, you can't grieve them. You can't, you, the, the carpet doesn't have a will. Only a person has a will. And that's what the Holy Spirit has. Because the Holy Spirit, verse 11 says, that he gives to each Christian as he wills, and so he shapes the life and ministry not only of, of the body of Christ as a whole, but as, as of each individual Christian that makes up that body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who determines those things. Again, we can go into uh, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit convicting and convincing of sin, about Him leading us into all truth, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as He guided people as they wrote the Scriptures. We look at many, many texts to talk about the, the role and ministry of the Holy Spirit. We probably won't get out here sometime today. So we're going we're gonna to focus in just on this text. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. He always points to Jesus. Always. 
And as I said, we, we, could, we could talk a lot about those things. Uh, but you remember the first thing that I mentioned was he draws us to salvation. And many of us here can testify to the fact that when we were lost sinners, when we were out in the far country away from God, the Holy Spirit was the one that got a hold of us. He was the one that convicted us of sin. He was the one that convinced us of our need for a Savior. It wasn't the, 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 the eloquence of the preacher. It was the Holy Spirit of God who convicted us. And it could be, even as you're sitting here today, that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to salvation. Now, I've, I've focused mainly on the Spirit, His role. I've been talking to Christians. But it could be that, that you might be here and, and you have never put your faith in Christ. You've been to church a bunch of times. You've heard the gospel. You've heard that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You've heard that you cannot please God in your own efforts, in your own accomplishments. It can't be done. The only way to be made right with God through salvation which is found only in Jesus Christ and it could be that that even now the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and if that's the case I call on you to repent put your faith in Christ and it could be that you're a Christian here today and you've done all that but the Spirit is putting his finger as it were on some area of your life Maybe he's calling you to ministry of some kind, calling you to be obedient in some area. Maybe he's convicting you of sin. There's something even now that's, that's in your heart and your mind, and you say, you know what? I know that I should not have done that. It was a sin against God. Repent of that. Confess that to God. You don't need to be resaved because once you're a child of God, you're a child of God your fellowship with him but you're being broken. But maybe you need to have that restored. Or maybe, and this is, like I said, we didn't even talk about the spiritual gifts. But maybe that that you know that God has gifted you in some area and you're just not using it. Listen, those things, Paul says, are for the good of the body of Christ. And I encourage you to use those things because that's how the body functions properly. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? As you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, just in the quiet of this time, I want to encourage you to search your own heart and mind. the things that you've said today and the thoughts that have gone through your mind some of them are good and holy and right and appropriate some you'd be so embarrassed if they were up on the screen right now each and every one of us is a sinner are sinners saved by grace, but we still have feet of clay. So we fail so many times. On the road that 
heard these things that we might not sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. thankful that you have laid out your truth all throughout scripture. We're thankful that you have recorded your word written for us so we can read it and have it available. Sometimes if we listen to people talk we zone out and we don't catch what they said, if we that we only when we read we can go back and look at it. And that's such a blessing. God, I pray that there's somebody here who's who's being drawn by the Spirit in need of salvation. Lord, I pray that you let them put their faith in Christ today. God, for those of us who are Christians, Lord, it's uncomfortable to feel that conviction. Lord, thank you. God, I pray that each of us deals with you in, in whatever way that we need to do that. I pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of those attitudes of the heart, words that we've spoken, things that we've looked at, things that we've done. I pray that you would forgive us. Restore us to a right relationship and fellowship with you. way that uh, folks need to respond today. I pray that you 